Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to She and Her, a feminist podcast and radio show with a Southern spin. I'm Anita Rao. And I'm Sandra Davidson. Today, we are doing something different with the show. Last year, some friends of ours reached out to tell us about a new podcast they were working on called The Land I Trust. It's a series hosted by the Sierra Club that explores the impact of fossil fuels on Southern communities. The project features the stories of men and women affected by energy issues, and today you'll hear from some of the women who are leading the clean energy movement in the South. So we will hear from series co-producer Josie Holtzman and Sierra Club representative Chelsea Watson. They're going to walk us through the project and introduce you to some of the stories that you are about to hear. Chelsea Watson, and I am one of the co-producers for The Land I Trust, which is a podcast series hosted by the Sierra Club that talks about the move from fossil fuels to clean energy in the South. I think that there is this perception that, you know, environmentalism or environmental work is political. And it's really so much more than that, right? I mean, of course it is political, but it also is about wanting to have a planet that can sustain you and your children and I think that's something that everyone can agree on and so in states here in the south and the people I met and the communities we went to for this project you'll find that there's a really beautiful intersectional movement here in the south that's dealing with a whole host of issues that are all so related and they're all about finding a better future and a lot of ways the people who get in the spotlight for environmental work or climate change work, um, maybe they're seen as the experts, are older, wealthier, rich white men. I feel like this is really significant because for me, as a climate organizer myself and a young woman, that's not at all what I encounter on the ground. When I'm meeting different community organizations, when I was a campus organizer myself, women are totally in the lead. And I think what's really exciting about this is that women are finding power and fighting back and fighting for our planet. We're fighting for our future generations, for our children if we choose to have them, if we can have them. And to me, I just really want it to be clear that the people actually doing this work day to day, people who are starting these 
community organizations that are doing everything from stopping the biggest coal companies in the world, the biggest pipeline companies in the world, to finding real solutions for how to deal with climate disaster, how to deal with hurricanes. They're women. My name is Josie Holtzman, and I am one half of the production team that um, came together to produce The Land I Trust with the Sierra Club this past year. The other half of the team is my partner, Isaac Kestenbaum. And in this project, we were called to go out into the field and interview people who are mobilizing to make change in their communities, people whose lives are being affected by these imminent changes in climate and also about experiences of kind of positive transitions from coal to clean energy and really was our responsibility as radio documentarians to go out into the field and talk to people, uh, real people experiencing these changes in their day-to-day lives, you know, not scientists, not necessarily activists, um, but people on the ground level, grassroots organizers, just regular people, farmers, you know, daughters, fathers, husbands, wives, people experiencing these things in their day-to-day lives. So I pulled a few interviews for this podcast featuring some really unbelievable women who we spoke to um, along the way. And, you know, women who are just fighting the good fight and um, trying to get their voices heard and mobilize their fellow community members. And these voices that I'll share for you now, share with you now, are coming from North Carolina, West Virginia, Florida, and Virginia. And um, here they are. So this first story comes from Adrienne Kennedy. She was born in Robeson County, North Carolina, and she moved away when she was young, but returned home as an adult. And she now runs the Seeds of Hope Project Disaster Relief Center, which she also just calls The Store. And um, it provides aid to people who were displaced by Hurricane Matthew, which hit this part of the country back in October of 2016, and flooding killed over 30 people. So the area was really devastated, and a lot of people were displaced. So she talked to us for a while, and really mostly what she talked about was what home means to her. Here's her story. My name is Adrienne Kennedy. I'm a resident of Lumberton, North Carolina, Robinson County. Driving through Lumberton, when you see cotton fields, tobacco fields, and people still sitting on their porches, you kind of get a sense of what kind of people we are here. I've known people here for generations. Uh, My church is just right up the street. I can see my grandma's house from where I live. I like being able to walk barefoot to my grandma's house. And so um, Hurricane Matthew, what a journey. There was alerts that people in certain parts of Lumberton should evacuate. My grandmother said that she was going to stay. She said that she had been through Hurricane Hazel, which was in 1945, and she just didn't think that it would be that bad. So I stayed behind through the storm. 
When I woke up, I saw the biggest, prettiest moon I had ever seen in my life. Problem was, the moon had a nice reflection on what was grass. And when I realized that that reflection was off of water, I said, we're in trouble. This is it. And so about three hours later, the sun come up. And I couldn't see my truck. I left my vehicle over there. That's when panic mode set in. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that are fortunate enough to go back and rebuild fully. There's probably about 35 houses on my street, and half of us, including myself, are not there. I had to find somewhere else to live in Fayetteville in another city over. My family, my community, my neighborhood... We're all climate refugees. My friend Ernie, my friend Shalanda, and I started asking for donations, diapers, water, and people from all over the country was bringing us things. It just started getting, you know, larger and larger. And then we finally ended up here. I like to tag it, you know, the Seeds of Hope Project Disaster Relief Center. It's all free. We're coming up on a year anniversary, and there's still people that walk through the door and go, I still don't have a couch. So, um, and I'd say 95% of the people that work and volunteer here are hurricane survivors. So it's therapeutic for, for all of us. Oh, I cry every day. I cry every day for um, this store being here because this is just always going to be home. This next story comes from Blair Campbell. She owns land in Randolph County, West Virginia, and this land has been in her family for generations, five or six generations. And the proposed Mountain Valley pipeline could cut right through her family's 480-acre farm. And she met up with us with her daughter, Penelope, who was nine years old. And for both of them, this proposed pipeline was really personal. This was family land and a lot of memories of home and um, just generations of traditions and being here kind of really a part of the land that would be lost. So here's their story. I'm Blair Campbell. We are on the top of our property. This farm's been in my family for many generations, many, many generations Six generations, if you count my kids. So there's a 360-degree view here, basically. As far as you can turn, there's just, you know, mountains. We're in an open field. There's cattle here. Uh, we keep hay here. But uh, the wind's blowing. Uh, so, it, you know, the wind blows up here a lot. Uh, and the cows have now spotted us. And my daughter is here. Is there any bulls over there? Because I'm going to go chase the cows. No, do not harass the cows. Dang it. You know, the, the shadows of the clouds are so cool on the mountains. It's just a beautiful day. The sky's light blue. The trees are starting to change. Lots of rust colors this, right now. And it's, it really makes me sad to feel like it would be disrupted in such a big way with no end in sight and, and so unnecessarily. So the pipeline's going to come straight across this giant open field the long way, this way. This is a big responsibility to own land. You know, and it's one that, you know, you don't really ask for. It's just kind of handed to you. And, you know, I'm going to do try to do a lot better job of keeping my kids nearby, understanding these conversations. So they have some understanding 
of what happens when they get older and I get older and then I inevitably pass away, you know, what is left for the next generation? Right? She comes up here and rides horses with her grandma. I got a lot of, like, horse things. I have a lot of horse stuff, so I really like horses. I like riding them. I like learning about them. You all right? Are you crying? Oh, don't cry. That's all right. Yeah, it's just it's just a lot of hard change. That's not it's not for the good. Nothing good about it. She's not going to be up here in 25 years if there's a pipeline right there riding her horse around in this field. It'll be a wasteland. Why is the land only worth what it's worth if it's developed? There's no value in undeveloped land? How could that be? And I don't even think that you can even pretend like you're going to fight a gas line if you're not willing to use another source of energy. I just helped a friend of mine from Texas start West Virginia Renewable Energy Systems, which is a solar company, because at the end of the day, we should all know that fossil fuels are done. Solar is where it's at, period, the end. This next story in Florida comes from Representative Amy Mercado and Senator Victor Emanuel Torres Jr. And they are the first father-daughter Latino pair to serve in Florida's government. And they actually came to Florida from New York. Amy was born in the South Bronx in New York, where her father served as a cop for many years. And then he retired down to Florida, and she followed him a few years later. And here they talk together about how Recent extreme weather this past year, Hurricane Irma in Florida and then Maria, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, um, has impacted their state and their families. I'm Representative Amy Mercado. I represent House District 48 in Central Orange County in Florida. And I'm Senator Victor Manuel Torres Jr. I represent District 15, which is part of uh, Orange County, the southern part, and all of Osceola County. We're father-daughter. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> the first uh, father-daughter Latino in the history of Florida, Puerto Rican heritage. So we're, we're proud of that. We've been a fairly active family my entire life. I was raised in New York City. Um, he was a police officer in New York. My mom was a police officer in New York. Um, so as far as working for the public, that's how I was raised. So in Florida, it feels and it seems like as the years progress, the storms get bigger and bigger and stronger. So Harvey made it to Texas, Irma hit Florida, and Irma shifted almost by the hour. So what we were preparing for was at that point the worst before it struck Florida, and it veered west. Had it gone straight up the center like the last projection was, it would have been incredibly devastating for the state. And I'm not sure that the state is prepared for something like that, even though we did what we could collectively. Had had Maria hit Florida, we would have been in a very different discussion. Post-Maria, it's been eight weeks. We have over 189,000 people that have come here from the island of Puerto Rico with all kinds of needs, right? From the very basic uh, you know, a hot meal in six weeks or eight weeks to, you know, shower, to just mental health, right? Just to be able to breathe. The folks are coming here with nothing, right? It's not because they decided, oh, I'm just going to get up and go. It's so much easier in Florida. No, they have had running water, electricity, or food for two months. It's desperation at this point. 
Well, we went to uh, Puerto Rico after uh, Maria hit. I got to see my uncle down there and in Ponce, and uh, the first words from him was, thing uh, we have no water, we have no food, we have no power. Uh, cried in his shoulders, you know, Amy was there. And there was this one house, and I actually have a photo of it. Now, the house is practically completely destroyed, but there's a flag that's flying on the house. And when I look, I'm thinking I'm going to see the Puerto Rican flag, right? Because I'm in Puerto Rico, and that's the, it's the Stars and Stripes. It's the American flag that's flying there because they're just as proud of being Americans as they are as being island-born and being Puerto Rican. You know, I served in the Marine Corps. I got back from boot camp, and I said to my mom, Mom, I'm going to Puerto Rico. I'm going to see Grandma. I'm going to see my uncles. And all those uncles and everybody, they all served in the military. They all were veterans, you know, and my grandfather. So, you know, I want them to be proud of me. You know, I was proud of them. What are we asking now? We had your back, United States. We shouldn't have to ask you to have our backs. You should be there. You know, how do we feel being the first Puerto Rican father-daughter or the first Hispanic father-daughter? There's a sense of pride, of course, but there's a sense of responsibility behind that because we're one of few of the folks that actually look like our communities. Um, that resilience and that drive and that fight and, you know, that New Yorker in us as well, right? You pepper all those things together and here we are. <laughs> and we'll figure out where we need to be. It might not be perfect, it might not be pretty, but we're gonna get there and we'll get there together. And for us, for me, it's very important as a family. And this final story comes to us from Virginia. This is a husband and wife pair of interviewees. It's John and Ruby Laurie. They live in Buckingham County, Virginia, in Union Hill, which is a predominantly African-American community where Dominion Energy plans to build a compressor station as part of the proposed Atlantic Coast Pipeline. And the proposed pipeline would only have three compressor stations uh, along, I think, 600 miles of pipeline one at each end and then one in the middle. And this middle one is where Ruby and John live. And here we talk to them about why they think their community was chosen for this station and what that means to them. My name is Ruby Laurie. I live in the beautiful town of Buckingham. Uh, green when we have rain. Very quiet, that's what I like. And I'm originally from California and I came here with my husband back in 2003. My name is John W. Laurie, and uh, I'm originally from here, Laurie Lane, less than 1,000 uh, yards from here. That's where I grew up. We knew all the neighbors, and we spent a lot of time in the woods walking and scouting. We knew where a lot of the creeks and the springs were. We were adventuresome, in a way. I still think about it now. And that's why I don't want to see our little creeks and our springs destroyed by this proposed compressor station. It was back in the latter part of 2014 when we found out about it. Since that time, 
we found more and more information as to the effect that they have on the communities and the people that's living close by. We're dealing with environmental injustice because here in Union Hill community is predominant black. They anticipated choosing this one in a predominant black area because they anticipate least resistance. But they have received more resistance than uh, they had anticipated. I'm not just going to sit down and just roll over and let them walk over us. You've worked all your lives, especially the people that live here, have worked all their lives to have this property to hand it down to their children and to their grandchildren. We have a heritage here also. We have uh, African-American graves. We have slave uh, uh, graves around. And uh, not too long ago, we found one there, a slave cemetery, probably about a mile and a half away. I look at those grave sites, and I can imagine the hell those people went through to make someone else rich. Slave labor. Throughout life, I've always been some questions unanswered in my mind and I always ponder things. Why is this condition like this? Why do some think that they are so superior and others so inferior? You're listening to She and Her, and that is it for our show today. You can hear the full series of The Land I Trust on iTunes and Stitcher, and we're going to share a link to the project's website on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at She and Her Radio. Thanks so much for listening, and we will be back soon. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.